Hello, my name is Ceci Chef from the Enwida team, and you are listening to the Enwida podcast. We have a calling system which gathers anonymous insights from workers on their working lives. And on this short podcast, we hope to bring you the most relevant insights and leading lights when it comes to ethical supply chains. Thank you for joining us today. Kenton Harmon, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Enwider podcast. Uh, for our listeners, Kenton is the Managing Director of the Equitable Food Initiative, and Enwider and the EFI have collaborated on a project that really documents the recruitment experience and the lived experience of workers on fruit and veg farms. So Kenton, we like to you know, start by asking our guests to introduce themselves uh, briefly, and maybe uh, specifically on the work that EFI does. So over to you. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me onto this. I'm I'm really happy to be uh, be connecting with Ann Wider this way. Uh, we work uh, we we're we're partnering on some really interesting projects. Um, so I always appreciate the chance for us to to engage even further, and especially on topics as important as responsible recruitment. Um, and I'll 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 sort of start by talking a little bit about EFI and then why responsible recruitment is so critical to the EFI model. Um, so what, what EFI does, Equitable Food Initiative, is it's a real, it's a strange bedfellows where we've managed to bring together um, buyers like Costco Wholesale, um, major growers of in the fresh produce supply chain in the Americas, uh, labor unions, and so different civil society actors like those that have concerns around food safety, others that man, you know, uh, pest, uh, pesticide management, things like that. And we, it started with this idea that the system as it's currently designed in the Americas for getting fresh produce to market is just inherently broken. And it's really failing all of these parties. And we can sort of go through and, and sort of understand what brings everybody to the table. You know, for, from, from the retailer side, it's they're constantly dealing with these these food safety outbreaks that are really costly for them. Um, they're getting their names in the paper when in their supply chain, bad labor practices are exposed. Um, move next to the growers, they feel like they're really being squeezed by the retailers on price. So even the growers that wanna do really interesting things with their workforce and how, and, and really add progressive and interesting new processes to to their operations, they're, they're finding it hard to figure out how to finance that when, when their product is being sold on price. And I think it's pretty obvious to anybody listening to this that, that the, the state of workers in the agricultural supply chain for, for decades, really for the history of agriculture in, in the Americas is not a good one. That, that workers have been you know, a commodity and they've been treated like a commodity and they've been, there's been high levels of exploitation. There's been dangerous work environments. Um, and there's, there's certainly, we see problems right from recruitment to how, how farm workers are managed in the fields. Um, so it's really trying to bring together the top class of each of these groups. And in essence, we sort of locked them in a room together and gave them the challenge of saying, okay, this, this, this system is broken. Can we design a system where everybody in this room gets a win? And, uh, and that's been really the, the, the ethos that's been driving Equitable Food Initiative is how do we redesign the fresh produce supply chain so that 
Number one, it's just better for workers. There's more, there's the workplaces are more dignified, they're more professional, they're safer. And the voice and agency of workers is really at the core, you know, and then how do we, how do we help growers transition to different, a different culture on their farm where they really can benefit from the expertise of, of farm workers. And then that, and if we get those two pieces right, we're sending product to market that's got a high level of assurance, high level of assurance around food safety, around the treatment of the workers that, that harvested it, um, and the long-term financial sustainability of the growers who uh, sold it to them. So that's sort of what we did is we, we brought these folks that have been fighting each other for decades together and, uh, and, and got them to a place where, where we make big decisions uh, that, that gives each one of those parties something in return. And then the overall effect is what we think is a much stronger, much more sustainable um, and a much more equitable food system. It's interesting. Um, everyone seems to agree that the biggest opportunity for inclusion and impact is in the supply chain. And it's encouraging to hear you talk about workers really being brought back into the center of business decisions. Um, and I guess it's an apt time to be talking about this, right? As we talk of rebuilding post-COVID. Uh, most people agree that COVID really exposed the fragile systems in our world. So we really need to start thinking through business models that will work for everyone, right? Business models which will center the well-being of workers in global supply chains not as an afterthought, um, but a very intentional commitment to impact. So I'm very excited for us to dig into that. Uh, but first, uh, tell us a bit about you and where your passion for responsible recruitment and decent working conditions comes from. Yeah, it's 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 been an interesting journey. I came out of the um, uh, humanitarian world. So I worked with organizations like Doctors Without Borders um, and did uh, uh, was was able to see you know, some really broken systems through through that work and systems that have been broken by conflict or natural disasters. Um, and and certainly in my personal experiences there was this work is valuable and it's important, but this is this is temporary work. We are we are responding all of the time rather than having the opportunity to sort of really step back and look at what are the systemic enablers. So a really good example was, you know, when I was um, in Liberia just for the, the end of the, the war there. And a lot of these aid groups, uh, including my employer at the time, had been there for 14 years. It, you know, it's no longer it's no longer a response at, after 14 years. Some at some time in those 14 years, we probably should have put more resources to really going after what was impacting the system that was causing the conflict that was then causing the humanitarian sector. So I, I really got interested in trying to, trying to understand the world uh, through systems a little bit more. And I did a, an MBA in sustainability, which was very much focused on that. And uh, as, as it turns out, coming out of school, I uh, started a company and our first client was a really important agricultural employer um, that, that operates out of Mexico. And uh, so we were able to provide them a lot of sort of re-looking at their own operations through a more systemic view, but they really also taught us a whole bunch about how 
you have to have workers incorporated into any any type of major initiative in the organization. It really comes down to the workers that are that are touching the fruit every day that that need to not only understand the change, but really be part of the design of the change. Um, so that that started me onto a journey. It led me to Equitable Food Initiative. Um, I used to do pro bono consulting for them and was just thought I having having been in the sustainable ag world here um, as as I got to know EFI in its young days, I thought this is probably the model that can most transform the industry. Uh, and so I ended up uh, going from their their pro bono consultant to uh, to their uh, director of certification and now managing director. Talk about passion, hey? Uh, that's that's a fascinating uh, story. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kenton. Um, so I actually want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier about kind of bringing all these various parties together, specifically when looking at fresh produce. I want to know then, in the time that you've kind of been involved in this work, what changes you've kind of witness or what growth has been around labor practices over the over the years yeah and there's there's i it's it's one things are changing really really quickly in in agriculture and again my my frame is is really in the americas um i i suspect a lot of this is happening uh in 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 africa and asia and europe as well but but certainly my my world right now is is really watching how we can impact the the fresh produce supply chain really from Chile up to Canada. And there's a couple of really hopeful changes that I see. One is there is an appetite to change and, and that hasn't always existed in agriculture. Um, and so the, the EFI model, which is really based on bringing workers and managers together to collaborate on identifying and fixing the complex problems that have really been, been uh, vexing to, to these agricultural operations. The appetite, the appetite for thinking you had to do things differently and thinking you had to do things differently involving your workers and leveraging the expertise of your workers that was a very hard sell as as you know a few years ago as say eight or nine years ago right it just wasn't in the it just wasn't in the in the cultural space of the of of agriculture in many cases to to really think that that workers were part of the solution they were still seen as really the problem and so you know we had some real leaders that joined EFI early, that saw through this, that saw that there was a way to, to, to incorporate this, this incredible professional knowledge held by their workers. And they were, they were very atypical early. And so my hopeful change that I've experienced over the last eight years is those are, those are no longer atypical growers. Now we're seeing a widespread belief across across agriculture, fresh produce in, in particular, to say that they've got this untapped resources, which is, which is their workforce. So that makes, that makes me really hopeful for, for the future. First, we had to get to a place where people see the value in working with their workers. And now EFI's job and, and a bunch of other parties, our job now is to make sure that we're giving the industry the tools they need to be able to properly leverage this collaborative spirit and and all of the benefits that are going to 
that can come when when workers and managers really sit down to solve problems together. Yeah, um, I love what you're saying about an appetite to change. It really is something significant and not to be taken for granted. Um, I was actually speaking about that with a, a previous guest on the podcast, uh, Colleen Tehran, talking about her hope for her sector, um, working in forced labor, and really just emphasizing the importance of a mindset change. And we were just talking about how that simple shift from, you know, looking at the risk to looking at the opportunity really galvanizes you towards action. You know, it's a call to action that drives you towards designing creative ways on how to act, right? Instead of being immobilized by the risk or the fear. Um, so thanks so much for mentioning that, Kenton. Um, so we have to talk about COVID. Yes. <laughs> the question being, what has the impact um, of COVID-19 been on the leadership and ethical practices on these farms? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think the first thing that COVID did was in, obviously, um, should be no surprise, it really increased the risk to workers. It increased the risk from disease transmission. Um, it decreased the ability to have visibility into farms, right? There were fewer audits. There were audits were going remote instead of uh, in person. There was this incredible, very quick recalibration of commercial channels, right? So food service just exploded within, within a month. Um, right, but all that then all that product was then being picked up when it could be, and as the system recalibrated um, into retail channels, and that that really led to the ability for workers to be overworked. So so what we would see anecdotally versus what we would see in our in our audit evidence at that time, but we would hear anecdotally a lot about forced overtime happening. And, and it was it was almost out of a patriotism at the time. And if you remember a year ago, you know, when we were all just learning about what new world we were living in as, as related to COVID, this 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 idea of like we've got to we've got to keep ourselves fed was was a very passionate and, you know, it was a food heroes moment. Unfortunately, that 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 extended into sort of further probably exploitive conditions for workers. So within the larger frame of the chance for, for workers to be working in higher risk environments and higher risk from, from all these different aspects, what we saw on, on our EFI certified farms was really, really heartening and really hopeful and really validating for our model. Because when there's one great story about a leafy green operation in Salinas, California, which for everybody listening to this is is where lettuce comes from uh, when you're eating lettuce in, in Canada and the United States. Um, so it's just a high volume, high workforce, high money industry. And we have one of our certified operations there that was sitting down thinking about, well, apparently, you know, and this is all a year ago. So they're like, apparently we've got to like separate workers. We've got to put up plexiglass and we've got to do all these things. And we have no idea how to do this while also you know serving the market which is also in great demand right now and apparently the management team just got up and they walked onto the floor and they convened the EFI leadership team and just to to pull back for a little bit on all of our farms we set up this leadership team which is workers and managers and we give them cultural skills about conflict resolution how to hold a meeting how to gather data how to create alternatives, you know, how to survey workers. We, we give them these really interesting skills around collaboration and information and uh, gathering and problem solving. So they convened a leadership team 
and within three hours, based on the based on the input and the direct engagement with this leadership team, so really bringing workers into the problem solving process, plexiglass was going up, and they were able to get people safe and redesign entire work processes and still keep product going to market. And the CEO of that company says that if he had stayed in his conference room with his management team, they would have been three weeks trying to figure out what to do and their solutions wouldn't have been as effective as, as they were when they had this channel to go in and really work with the folks that are most, uh, most affected and most at risk. And uh, so we, we were able to see through COVID a real validation of this collaborative model and just the importance of culture. And, and again, we were talking about the, the, the mind shift, the shift in management to think, wait, we have this whole other resource. We have this whole other body of knowledge that we can access that they traditionally wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have thought of. Oh, that's such a, a great like validating uh, story, Kenton. Actually, thanks so much for sharing it. Um, specifically on, on recruitment uh, practices, though, how how was the impact of COVID there? Yeah, it's it's hard to really tease out. There's there's a we're having a real tough moment in fresh produce right now around recruitment, uh, and it's hard to tease out what's COVID. What is U.S. federal immigration policy? What is the changing economics in, say, countries like Mexico? What's the impact on of trade agreements? There's just so many different things that I, I don't I don't think it would be totally robust for me to say. Okay, this is this is the part that COVID COVID played in it, but I can sort of tell you about what what we see as the state of recruitment right now. And it's it's pretty alarming for all the factors that I that I just mentioned. It's all leading up to a, a pretty acute labor shortage in fresh produce. And so, where there was traditional economic hierarchy of where you know you had these large agricultural employers, and when they needed workers, uh, workers were either readily available to them or they would use like a farm labor contractor, an FLC, or even a foreign-based recruiter and bring them in through a guest worker program. The, the, in that traditional setup, you know, the, the employer was the one cutting the check and the employer was the one that held the power. In a labor shortage, all that has changed where we've got growers that are saying, I just need workers. You know, they've got, hundreds of thousands of dollars of crop in the field and a small window to get it out of there. And so they just need workers. And it's what it's ended up doing is enabling these other parties that are involved in recruitment and giving them huge economic power. And what we're seeing with, with all of a sudden the, this, the farm labor contractor and the recruiter class of, of people that sit between workers and, and employers right now, we're seeing a lot of economic incentives to recruit any possible way they can. And, that, and that's really enabling some really poor recruitment processes. And so within a labor shortage, where the workers that are arriving at our farm gate, we're seeing more and more of them being recruited in ways that really present a huge amount of risk to the workers and their families personally, but also a huge amount of risk to the farms that they end up working on. And those risks, and we can get into this if you want, but the, the risks extend not only to the commercial risks of if this shows up in the paper that my workers 
you know, have been recruited this way. That's really bad for my business. It gets right down to the food safety of the product going to consumers. We, you know, we really strongly believe that that first mile of recruitment that happens thousands of miles away and well out of sight of these growers that in, let's say, Salinas, California, that first mile of recruitment has a direct impact on how safe their product will be when it goes to market. Wow. That's such like a very real uh, and risky picture that you're painting there. So then it just begs me to ask when it comes to the fair and respectful treatment then of workers throughout the recruitment process, what do you think are the key changes that need to be made? Yeah, well, I, I might take this chance to, 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 to plug a product that we've just launched onto the market this week. Um, and it has a fabulous and wider tie-in. We've relaunched the Responsible Recruitment Scorecard, and it's available at equitablefood.org slash scorecard. And um, there's actually two of them. There's one that's designed for farm labor contractors. There's one designed for recruiters. And it had, uh, it had Ann Wider's Greta Matos was our lead on developing what are the right questions that a grower needs to ask these other parties that are providing them labor. What are the right questions? If you don't know a lot about recruitment, you don't know a lot about forced labor, other than you know you don't want it on your farm, here's a set of questions that Greta's figured out are the right ones to ask. And based on the answers that your labor providers give you back, this scorecard will give you a real-time assessment of what risks that organization presents to your business. Uh, and so it's, it's just a really easy to use tool. It's free for anybody. You don't have to have a relationship with EFI to do it. Um, and it's a, it's a chance for you to not only understand what risks you own through the recruitment practices or through your, through your contracted services with these parties, but it will also give you some directional guidance on how to start to mitigate those risks. So then just trying to land this, how then, um, given everything that you've kind of mentioned, the very real risks involved in recruitment, especially in that first stage, as you mentioned, how can retailers also enable a better progress and positive change in their fresh produce supply chains? Yeah, it's such a great question and it's so timely. And, you know, we had talked earlier about just what, what feels like a, a shift in the psychic space of growers towards really understanding that this is a problem. That shift has already happened for most retailers that are based in, in, in at least North America, the ones that we're most in contact with. Um, we see Costco with, an, with a very aggressive program about um, making sure that everything is being done to proactively eliminate forced labor in their supply chain. We see Walmart coming out with a public commitment that by 2026, their entire supply chain, not just fresh produce, that work has started very aggressively already. But by 2026, Walmart has publicly said on their website that, you know, they will not tolerate any forced labor in their supply chain. So we, we, we see that they've made the shift. They're now in the phase of like, how do we identify it? How do we mitigate it? How do we, you know, what's the remedy? in these huge global and complex supply chains. Um, and so we, we, EFI is able to, you know, bring some things like the responsible recruitment scorecard to the table to help them, you know, put tools out there that will allow retailers to 
build the capacity in their supply chain for people proactively stopping forced labor before it gets to their farm. Um, and so we've gotten a lot of support from our retail partners on, on all our efforts to, uh, to work on this issue. But, but let's just be really clear. This is a hard, complex issue. There's jurisdictional issues because it, it, you know, we've got people moving across borders. We're going back into, you know, really remote communities. Um, we have supply chains that are changing, you know, week to week and, and month to month. And it's going to be a journey. And we, what, what we ask of, of the folks that come on this journey with us, and this is especially important for our buying partners, is we, unfortunately, we cannot expect, we can't, we can't expect perfection anytime soon. Um, and so EFI's staked out, a, I think, a pretty controversial position in this world. Uh, and that is, that is, we are really, we really expect from our growers not zero tolerance for these issues, even though they have huge human and ethical concerns. We expect continuous improvement. We expect credible effort, credible effort to continue to figure out how to stop this in its tracks. But what we don't want to see is when through audit or any of our other means, we identify forced labor. We actually don't want the buying partners to cut and run from this grower um, because those recruitment fees in this case that potentially the, the workers have paid that have put them into forced labor, those remain. But the ability of the worker to have a livelihood that can at least keep them you know, somewhat safe, uh, you know, and somewhat on repayment, that's gone and stuff. So we really encourage our, both our growers and our buying partners and the, and the folks from the, the labor and worker side is to really engage on saying, hey, this is endemic in the industry, but, you know, farm by farm, technique by technique, strategy by strategy, we, we actually can be making significant progress year over year on, on eradicating this, but it's going to be hard and it's not going to be overnight. Yeah, um, I love that focus on continuous improvement. Uh, it's actually uh, a similar encouragement-based approach that we also like using as an wider, um, which is really moving beyond a pass-or-fail compliance model um, towards one that says, you know, all suppliers, all growers are somewhere on the spectrum, right, with areas that need improvement and others which are looking good. Um, we don't want to create a sense of, you know, there are the baddies and the goodies, <laughs> you know, because that masks the reality that forced labor is happening everywhere. Um, even the most ethical brands are concerned about forced labor and in their own supply chain. So we don't want to create a sense of, you know, it's only happening here or it's only happening there. So instead of like disassociating yourself, as you mentioned, let's take on a continuous monitoring approach, you know, instead of occasionally checking in, you know, because then you get a much more accurate picture, you know, of working conditions and work well-being at regular intervals. Um, so yeah, I love, love that approach. Um, but I want to pivot a bit and ask you, if you had a magic wand, what single change would you want to make happen today? Yeah, well, I first I would ask for a lot more than just one magic wand. I'd want a whole palette of magic wands. Um, boy, there's I, I, the, the, I'm feeling the, the stress of opportunity cost because there's just so many good answers to this. Um, I, I think the thing that can make start making the biggest difference, you know, in this month is if we really 
across the fresh produce supply chain really all understand that there's this incredibly unfair structure in place. And that is that the, the risks, the commercial, the food safety, the quality risks that emanate from bad recruitment, those are owned by the grower. And that's regardless of whether the grower even has any insight or visibility into how recruitment, how the recruitment of their workers was done. Right. People want to use things like in the US, the H2A program, which is the official guest worker program. They want to use that and they want to use these farm labor contractors and these recruiters as a way of assuming they are doing it right. And therefore, my farm is fine. I'm, I don't have any risks that come from bad recruitment. And it's just not the reality. You, it, it's it. The, the reality is, is when bad recruitment starts to show its symptoms and whether that's an expose in the press whether that's you know workers that are are threatened or killed because of how they had to borrow money in order to come and work even on these legit through these legitimate guest worker channels you know when when things go sideways and they're gonna it's gonna happen more and more that commercial risk lies with the grower whether they participated in the recruitment directly or not and I think if we can just get really clear and using tools like the Responsible Recruitment Scorecard of just saying, you own a whole bunch of risk here. We have enough faith at EFI in the acumen of, of growers to be able to see this risk and then to be able to respond in the correct way and really get creative and innovative about how they're going to mitigate this risk in, in a way that's going to benefit their workers and their workforce. Um, so yeah, my magic wand right now is just to just to say, let's get all the major agricultural employers to really understand you own an invisible risk and you can argue that it's not fair and you can keep arguing that and it's not gonna change. You own this risk and it's gonna, um, it's, it's gonna take some real energy and some real proactive uh, problem solving in, in order for you to not have that risk be an existential one for your business. You know, earlier on, you did mention, you know, going beyond constantly responding and, and beginning to look at systemic enablers that constantly create these issues that we see. Um, and that, you know, if we understand some of these supply chain issues from a systemic perspective, then we know we're all facing a shared problem, um, which no single party can overcome alone. So really, yeah, it's, it's, not the, it's not solely the growers' problem. It's not solely the buyers' or retailers' problem. And so, you know, if we really start looking at, at it in that way, you know, we're compelled to take on a more collaborative approach in remediating these effects. Um, yeah, so the only way to address them is by working in partnership. So Kenton, uh, thank you so, so much for, yeah, relentlessly fighting for the rights of workers in these environments, you know, to really experience fair recruitment practices and, and also for the EFI's mature approach really to collaboration and, and supporting suppliers to know more and to do more. Yeah, again, we, we really appreciate what Ann Wider is doing in the world, including with podcasts like this. Um, and, and we're really looking forward to, to just strengthening that partnership uh, over the years because, man, there is a, there's a lot of work to do. And uh, being able to hold good partners close and, and really uh, come at these, these big, complex problems together, um, I think that's, that's how we work through them. That's it from us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to follow us on our social media platforms to keep up to date with all things and wider. 
and look out for our next installment. Goodbye.